This episode of Movie House is sponsored by Velvet Generation. Velvet Generation is an all-new tabletop RPG about rock and revolution. The star children came to Earth in search of the home planet of rock and roll, but they were too late. By the time they got here, rock had been outlawed by the fascist Ministry of Music, so they started a revolution that would change the world forever. Velvet Generation is live on Kickstarter now through July 11th. Back it today. Hey everybody, I know this is usually a video thing and I apologize, but I couldn't get a video with this. Uh, but it, oh, it, this is great for me. I love this. I got to talk with my hero, Joe Bob Briggs. We talked about uh, the last um, the last drive-in coming up this weekend. We talked about all sorts of stuff. We were all over the board. We talked about Monster Vision. Uh, we talked about just, it's a great conversation. We talked about him being on The Tonight Show. I bet you didn't know that happened. So uh, be sure to watch the picture, I guess, and listen to the chat that I have with uh, Joe Bob Briggs. And uh, yeah, I'll see you on the other side. All right, everybody, I'm here with um, my hero and yours, Joe Bob Briggs. Thank you so much for being on. I am happy to do this. Okay, let's get right down Plus to it. Plus, we're plugging a thing. Yes, we are plugging a thing, <laughs> and we'll get to that thing in a little bit, but I got some stuff I want to cover first that leads to the thing. Who were they trying to kid with those Texas instruments in Damnation yeah. Alley? Oh, my God. I don't. You don't mean Texas Instruments, the company. Like the, they were using calculators as navigational tools. Oh, I got you. Okay. <laughs> oh, well... You know, I guess you're not supposed to show the face of the device, and uh, they screwed up. <laughs> poor, poor George Papard. And <laughs> I can only imagine when they when they weren't sh- shooting that Jackie Earl Haley was, you know, writing eight zero zero eight five in there <laughs> just to see if it would take him to boobs. Um, yeah. It uh, one thing you know, one thing that that. Um, <clears throat> You know, mistakes, uh, uh, continuity mistakes and things in movies, it's like IMDb has shown us that there are so many millions of them that we ought to just stop talking about them. <laughs> probably, yeah. That's, it's, it's like just ignore them and, they, and they'll probably go away? Maybe. Yeah, I mean, in, in, the, in the days before you could freeze frame an image, uh, it didn't matter. You know, you, you would never pick it up. And then, and so we go back into these old movies, and um, you know now we can freeze frame them. Now we can pick out every single uh, thing that's out of place. And oh. you would know that because you made movies, right? Oh yes, I there, <laughs> I go back and watch my stuff, and I'm just like, this is not. No, I totally screwed up there. Um, now you hosted Monster Vision from was it ninety six to two thousand, and before that you were at did a drive in theater from well it was you yeah, you guest hosted for a while from like eighty six, and then you became the permanent host till about ninety six. You know I don't even know. I mean it it was um, the way that thing at the Movie Channel was. They invited me to be a guest host, and then they just invited me back every month 
to do another guest host month and another guest host month and then come back and do now now come back and do three months now come back and do six months i think i was a guest host for the whole 11 years i don't think i, <laughs> <laughs> I don't think we ever had a contract so uh, but you did convince uh, them to to move shooting down to texas instead of new york well that's true well, what happened they originally had four hosts you know they had uh robert osborne was there doing you know old hollywood movies and um, uh, they had a, a, um, a, a critic doing sort of romantic comedy type stuff. And, uh, uh, and over time, uh, they got rid of the other hosts. And I was the only host left just doing my late night weekend stuff. And we were in the big uh, Dumont Studios um, in Spanish Harlem. And uh, from the old Dumont Network from the fifties and uh, uh, my little set was just over in one corner of this big soundstage. And I just said, you know, this is really stupid to be <laughs> spending, spending all this money. Um, I can just do this in Texas at the, uh, at the uh, public TV station. <laughs> you know, we really don't have to do this. And so I, yeah, so I moved the, uh, I moved the operation to Texas and then, and then when, when we went to, when uh, TNT took over the show, uh, we just stayed in the same place, same sets, same everything. Well, that's awesome. Now, when you first started hearing rumblings of uh, people wanting you on Shudder, what were your initial thoughts? Well, my initial thoughts were it's just like the past uh, 17 guys who have come to me <laughs> one every year saying, do you want to do a show? And then, uh, you know, and then you never hear from them again. Um, I didn't think anything would ever come of this because uh, TV, for the most part, doesn't repeat itself. TV doesn't like history. TV likes new, you know. Now, that may be changing a little bit in the streaming era, you know. Right. But, um, but I didn't really think much would come of it. And then when they finally said that they wanted to do something, I said, well, you know, let's just do a, let's just do a one shot. Cause I think, you know, uh, actually what they said was they wanted to completely do the same show as monster vision, you know, right. with all those same elements with, the the rants and, the drive in totals and, the uh, intense commentary on the movie and the male girl and, the. uh, that type of comedy and that type of atmosphere and and so i said well if we're going to do that then let's just do a marathon and i originally wanted to do like a whole weekend like labor day weekend like jerry lewis you know like <laughs> just going on and on, on and on and on um and we scaled that back it's 24 hours 13 movies it's actually going to be more like 26 or 27 hours because i talked too much and we were trying to wedge in 13 movies for friday the 13th you know and so um uh but i think it's a one of a kind i still think we created a one of a kind thing no streaming service does appointment television no <laughs> it's gonna be the most stupid thing we've ever done <laughs> or, or something revolutionary you know but i'm gonna go with revolutionary yeah i'll go with revolutionary <laughs> you got you gotta think positive that's the only way. That's the thing you got to you got to do that. But um, now, when it comes to the movies that are going to be on this, I know you said that it's starting off with Tourist Trap, right? 
That's right, because I'm really, really fond of Tourist Trap. I've always loved the movie, and um, I wanted to pick one that wasn't just an obvious classic, um, one that maybe needs a little rehab on its reputation, and uh, so that's why, you know, and it's weird. It's just a weird movie. Right, and right. So, um, so it kind of falls in between, um, uh, you know, an obvious choice, and a really, really obscure choice. <laughs> it's sort of in the middle, and uh, and we because we try to do a mixed bag of of um, classics, uh, cult movies, uh, so bad they're good movies, um, uh, you know, and have all the different types of movies that uh, we had on Monster Vision. Now, uh, I have seen a couple of other films kind of pushed it towards, like, with, with the advertising. Uh, now, is there any truth to the rumor that Basket Case and Sleepaway Camp will be featured? Yes. Th- those are the only three that they're letting me reveal. Uh, oh. They want people to have to watch it to know what the next movie is. But, but Sleepaway Camp is definitely one of the films, and Basket Case is definitely one of the films. And I have, I have stories to tell about both. I have, you know, personal connections to both. So, um, uh, that's another thing that we try to do is get, get, um, uh, movies where we weren't just repeating the same old stuff that people already know about the movie. So, uh, so, uh, Frank Henenlotter who made Basket Case is, uh, I've known him ever since Basket Case came out. So, <laughs> so uh, and he's he himself is a film is 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 a film expert is especially an exploitation film expert. Uh, fascinating guy. And then, like you, uh, you, uh, I remember I saw you on Twitter talking to Felissa about uh yeah yeah so i'm um, don't give anything away because uh she's great i've had her on the show before uh we, it was the longest conversation i've ever had with a woman about penis but <laughs> it, that that didn't well, involve sex afterwards but um, well yeah felissa uh first of all felissa has probably been to more fan conventions than any single person in history and she's been on more panels and done more seminars and talked about Sleepaway Camp more often than than anybody has ever talked about one movie. And yet, I think there are things that have never quite been explained about Sleepaway Camp. And part of the reason is Felissa kind of shies away from the tough questions, <laughs> you know. She kind of does, and, yeah. And so... Um, so I was talking to Felicia about coming on and really addressing, you know, I always tell people, when you watch Sleepaway Camp, if you've never seen it before, pay really, really, really close attention to the first scene and the last scene. And, um, and the, there are different theories about what's going on in both of those scenes. And so... Um, because Felissa is also friends with the director, who is also kind of an elusive guy. He's, you know, that's kind of the only movie he's ever been known for. Um, uh, I, I thought maybe she can answer the, uh, the big questions about it. So that's why I'd like to have her on. Now I'm going to have to pay very close attention. Uh, I just rewatched one and two 
Um, and I have to, I still have to pick up three from Shout Factory, but uh, I uh, uh, those I don't know what it is about those movies, but I just love them. I can't get enough of them. And with Pamela, yeah. when Pamela Springsteen shows up in the and the other and the, the the two sequels, uh, yeah. it's it's a little jarring at first, but then you kind of get used to the I'm super happy because you, you know Angela goes from real quiet and not talking to cutting people's heads off, and then now she's just super happy and putting women's heads into outhouses but you know that's that's the way that is but you mentioned we talked about basket case for a second that actually leads me to another thing i want to talk about you are one of if oh maybe the only uh film critic i've ever seen on the tonight show and you mentioned you talked about basket case and you talked about uh this the only the only time i'll probably ever hear basket case and i just remember mama mentioned on the tonight show (laughs) Well, how did that come about? Like, that was a very, I mean, because Leno seemed very, like, he didn't know what was going on. It's true. It's true. He, he did seem a little flustered. Um, I think, uh, as I recall, I, I, that was just kind of a fluke thing. I, 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 had a book come, I had a book coming out, and the whoever was the publicist for the book uh, um, set it up, you know, set up a... Um, a Tonight Show appearance. So, um, I was actually terrified to go on the Tonight Show. <laughs> I, I normally I don't have butterflies about anything. Uh, I did about the Tonight Show. Boy, they and and they didn't make it any easier either. They were <laughs> they were uh, from the time you go in the building, you know, you're it's like it's the Tonight Show. It's like. <laughs> everybody is like aware that they work for the most important show, you know? (laughs) And so you're like, um, they kind of put you on edge. I can Um, imagine. But, uh, uh, but no, that, that was, um, um, uh, uh, he, he was, uh, uh, Leno, uh, you know, all those, all those late night guys, that are good at what they do, um, they tend to interrupt you um, because that's what the audience wants them to do. Right, right. <laughs> they, they really want to hear more from them than they want to hear from you, the guest. And so it's a little disconcerting when you're on the show because you know that you're kind of a setup for their jokes. <laughs> Basically, but it didn't. He didn't seem to interrupt you too much, though. That's the thing. No, so, yeah. no, that was good. No, it, it, it turned out to be okay. Yeah. So that was. Uh, I remember I was going through because I go through, and I'm sure you're aware that people have posted the host segments from Monster Vision on YouTube to watch, and uh, um, I always have conversations with my friends about like, well, they gotta they gotta put at least put the host segments out because that sometimes that's the best part of the movie. Um, and uh, th- th- I came across that one. I was like, "That is crazy that you were on the Tonight Show." But it was <laughs> it was also very cool. Now you mentioned you were on there for a book, and uh, one of my favorite books is Profoundly Disturbing, and it's about films that changed movies. Is there any movie out there now that, y- if given the chance, that you would add to that list? Boy, you know, it's kind of hard to. Um, it's kind of hard. Recent movies, it's difficult to say whether the movie uh, is going to have a lasting effect. Um, Certainly, um, Get Out 
that came out last year right um is the first movie that i know of that that was able to make white people 100 percent identify with a black protagonist in 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 a in in a in a sort of in the sort of way that uh, a black man that particular black man feels threatened by um, white society and and for for the for the uh, it's sort of the same thing that happens in um, horror films where you have uh, young adolescent males identifying with um, uh, strong female final girls you know uh, uh, anyway the, the fact that he pulled that off was I thought probably yeah probably genre changing for the for horror films you know um, but who knows you know maybe that was just a particular story uh, at a particular time that was done really really well and you know like in the in the 80s in the uh, 70s we had catholic horror oh yes <laughs> <laughs> and I guess we still have Catholic horror, right? You know, we we have we have films about exorcisms all the time. Oh, but, yeah, um, ad nauseum it seems like. Yeah, but it wasn't. But it's uh, um, it, it's it's hard to say what's what's what. It's it's hard to say after one year what 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 was truly genre changing and what and what wasn't. What we do know is it was the greatest year for horror ever. I mean, yep. I mean, it was one of the top-grossing movies of the year. Um, Get Out got all that critical attention. Um, the Shape of Water was the best um, picture at the Academy Awards. Monster Movie wins the best picture at the Academy Awards. That yes. never happened. No, it never happened. That's that's crazy <laughs> stuff. That's the. Uh... I remember I was watching a um, a live stream from the local television studio, and they had um, film students in there talking about the awards. And I loved watching how pretentious these these twenty three year olds who haven't lived life are uh, mm -hmm. about film. Like, oh well, I really don't see Del Toro winning this. I'm like, oh, whatever, dude. It's just just relax and enjoy the movies, please. Because that's what they're supposed to be. And that actually make brings me to my next question: What happened? to fun, schlocky horror. Hmm. Could it ever come back? Well, um, yeah, I mean, um, horror comedy is really hard to do, speaking of Basket Case. You know, Basket Case is one of the great uh, horror comedies ever made. And the key to it is it has to be 80% horror and only 20% comedy. If you go in the other direction and it's, you know, 20% horror and 80% comedy, it's, it's always a complete failure. Right. You know, it's, it's a cult movie trying to be a cult movie. Um, but, um, uh, but, you know, this, what, what, what we could go in two ways now. Um, I'm sure that every, Studio executive took note of the three hundred and fifty million dollars or whatever it was that that Stephen King's It made last year, yeah. uh, 
And I'm sure that because of that, you know, there were a lot of calls for horror writers and that could go in two ways. It could go, we could end up with a lot of really expensive crap (laughs) (laughs) or um, some guy, some indie guys that have been carrying the same script around Hollywood for 15 years, but can't get it made because it's too weird. Finally get their unique project made. You know what I mean? I mean, it can be, it, it, it can, it can, it can go either way. And I, and I hope, I hope that what it does is they go back and read some of those rejected scripts that were considered too far out there. You know, um, I'll give you an example, like, um, you know, the book that World War Z was based on. Oh, great book. I think, yeah, it's a, it's a wonderful book, and apparently the first script based on that book was one of the hottest scripts in Hollywood, passed around, everybody read it, and then when it became a Brad Pitt movie and Brad Pitt's production company became involved, um, they said, oh, we can't do this, we have to do a conventional third act. And so... Uh, the whole thing was redone, rewritten, you know, and it just became, I think the movie is boring. I mean, is, 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 um, uh, a lot of big budget, uh, nothing, you know? Um, and they had the script, they had the project, they had it ready to go <laughs> and, and they got scared and were afraid it wasn't going to be commercial. And so, you know, that's always the danger when you're dealing with those kinds of dollars is, you know, it, well, as long as it's a, a $5 million or under picture, you know, then the director can kind of do what he wants. Right. As soon as it becomes even a $20 million picture, all of a sudden, you know, it's like, no, 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 no. You know, you got to have a. You gotta have a cute girl and a dog. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's like that's the Bloomhouse model now, and nothing I think is over seven million. Yeah, uh, and and they have good success with that. And um, uh, and if you go down to like three million or two million, I think we could have even more interesting things. <laughs> I actually think I actually think the, there's a there's a reverse. Uh, um, uh, 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 an inverse relationship between the size of the budget and uh, uh, artistic expression in the horror field. So. Oh, for sure. I mean, it's that especially if you go back to uh, to ch- the original Chainsaw, they they their the budget was so small, and look what what they popped out. And that's something you and I have in common. We're both fans of that film. I actually, it's I like telling this story, and I think you'll get a kick out of it. Uh, the first time I ever saw Texas Chainsaw Massacre, I was seven years old. Wow. Yeah, and my father passed out in his chair because it was my day with him. And uh, he had golf on, and I didn't want to watch golf because nobody actually cares about Lee Trevino. And <laughs> there was a tape in the VCR. Yes, kids, they're called VHS tapes. And there was nothing on the label, and it was, but it was a rental. So I pushed it in, and, you know, with old VHS tapes, they start up right wherever they left off. And the first thing I see is Leatherface putting her on the hook. Oh I, wow! Putting I don't Pam even. On the hook, yeah, yeah, I don't even. I don't even get a build up to it. I just get him running in there and her screaming, and I didn't cry. I just kind of stared at it, and like it's yeah, it's one of those movies that has stuck with me, and I'm a, I'm such a huge fan of that that one and and Romero's Dawn of the Dead. 
uh, are just two of my my favorite horror films ever. Really, more so than Night of the Living Dead. Huh? Yeah, I'm. I think it was. Um, I don't know. Some I like Night of the Living Dead, but something about Dawn was more. I don't know. I think you know what it was. I think it was Ken Forey, uh kind of sold me on it. Um, yeah. That his performance I thought was great, um, and I regret never getting to meet George. I, I missed him at a convention in Chicago one year, and then all of a sudden it's like, yeah, that's not not cool at all. But um, yeah, we lost George and Toby the same year. That was yeah, that was not cool. Um, I oh I oh it's just so bad. I just I I don't know. I feel. Uh, it's it's hurt. You, know, you don't ever you know you never meet the people. They're not your friends, but you still feel uh, like this huge sadness when they pass. That's true. You know, and it's, and Wes uh, Craven too. I mean, oh uh, yeah, uh, that, uh, Wes Craven wasn't to, actually none of the none of the the horror horror directors as a as a class <laughs> are not social beings. No, they're <laughs> not. not. <laughs> um. So uh, we mostly know them through their works because they're not, uh, you know, they don't go to parties. So yeah. they're, they're not; they don't show up at the Masters of Horror dinner. At the, that's right. On. Yeah, that's that's more that's for right. the the Adam Greens and the Eli Roths. Um, but speaking of modern horror, I mean, there's something that's. I mean, there's successful, like you mentioned, it and the Conjuring universe is pretty is successful. Um, things like that, but there seems to be something missing from modern horror, and I can't put my finger on it. What do you What do you think it is? Well, it's uh, it's the writing that's missing. I mean, uh, uh, horror needs to be reinvented every three or four years because there's always new things that scare us. Uh, there's new and, and, and they're not the things that we expect. They're, they're the underlying things in the culture. And that's why get out is so great. That's right. why it's so great. Cause he discovered one of those underlying things that, 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 that had horror elements. And so, um, uh, it, it's it, it's the writing. I, 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 it drives me crazy when I go to these film festivals and the guy says, I'm making a homage to the 80s uh, sorority house massacre type film. You know, it's like, don't do that. Make something for 2018. Uh, don't make something for 1988. Yeah. <laughs> you know? And so... Have you looked at uh, a calendar know. lately, kid? <laughs> yeah. Um, these guys are just uh, enamored with horror history. I mean, hor horror fans in general, um, they don't want to just see this year's film. They want to see every film. They want to see every film, every horror film ever made going back to the 20s. Right. And so, um, uh, but um, I don't want to... You know, copies of those old films are not going to be any good. Um, you know, uh, we would be better off if, if they were if they spent all their t all their days reading horror novels to find <laughs> <laughs> to find the next one that can be made into a film because um, uh, it's it's story value that's you know. Uh, that's hard to it's that's hard to find 
cream. Yeah, that's that. That, make, that makes a lot of sense because we are seeing a lot of '80s throwbacks lately, and I'm not. I, I just don't get it. I don't. Um, now, what are your thoughts on the current? Let's get a little serious for just a second. What are your thoughts on the current film culture? Well, what do you mean by the film culture? Like in general, because it seems like everything is a reboot or a remake or a superhero movie or a Star Wars or you know it, it's yeah it, yeah it, it's I I tell you what I I don't quite understand it. You know, when I first started writing about exploitation films, they were considered disposable trash, and only myself and one other person were writing about them at the time. I got a book in the mail just this past week, a review copy of an, a book-length treatment of I Spit on Your Grave, I Spit on Your Grave, 1978, published by Columbia University Press. What? <laughs> yeah. okay. therefore, therefore, probably written by a professor somewhere. I haven't looked at it closely. But... Uh, increasingly, when you read a review of, of a horror film, or, or, or let's say you go to your local um, uh, Alamo Draft House or, or your local art theater, and it's cult movie night, um, the description of the cult movie <laughs> will be full of arcane academic terms, you know? So... So what what we have is is a, a period now where um, uh, extremely overeducated nerds are writing about films that were designed to be seen by the raincoat crowd <laughs> in the seventies and eighties. In other words, the people appreciating the films are appreciating them from a different place, from a totally different place than the audience they were designed for um it's very confusing and uh sort of like what alternate reality are we in next this this week as a matter of fact yeah on the 11th i'm going to uh, uh there's a there's a hipster <laughs> movie theater <laughs> called the Nighthawk Cinema in Brooklyn. And I'm going to introduce the movie um, Daughters of Darkness. Okay. The greatest Belgian horror film ever made. <laughs> which is like saying the best Mexican wine. You know? <laughs> but but, but, uh, uh, but it's like do they want to? Do they want me to talk about Basket Case? No, they want to. They want me to talk about the Belgian film, <laughs> you know. And I can talk about the Belgian film, but you know, the reason they like it so much is it's one of those films where when people talk about it, they don't use any normal English language. Yeah, they, they suddenly they say it was it was mesmerizing, Joe Bob. <laughs> it, it was a surreal experience. It was a. It was a psycho fever dream. It was, you know what I mean? It's like, 
<laughs> it's like, why are you talking about like, talking about it like? What do you mean surreal? You mean like Salvador Dali? You know, are there skulls in it? What's what are you seeing? <laughs> you know, if you were mesmerized, you know, did did you really were you really paying attention? Did you fall asleep? <laughs> you know, it's like, it's like well, yeah. we just like you just, yeah, yeah you just watched a two hour Jackson Pollock painting. What are you expecting? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Oh, um, and so yeah, we have this world where um, where. Uh, uh, you know the, the 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 world academic criticism has has taken over regular criticism. You know, uh, I always try to when I, whenever I write reviews, I always try to use the simplest word. If you find me using a complex word, I've gone through fifteen other words, and I need that specificity of that word. You know what I mean? Yeah. It's like uh, uh, the the the, uh, the the incredibly arcane way some of these writers uh, approach these movies. Uh, I think to me, that it's a turnoff. It's a turnoff. It doesn't it doesn't lead to emotional appreciation of the film. No, it doesn't. And you mentioned that I spit on your grave. I actually have a, a question for you about that. When that came, okay. you know, that, that film, you were um, one of the sole voices defending that film when it came out, when all the other critics were, like, crucifying it. Did you ever get any blowback for that? Oh, yeah. I mean, that was just one of many films I got blowback about. <laughs> but, uh, but um yeah, when they when they re finally released the DVD of the film in uh, you know the early part of this century, um, uh, Mayor Zarki, the director, uh, called me up and he said, "Are you Joe Bob Briggs?" I said, "Yeah." Are you the guy that did the review? Did you do a review of I Spent in Your Grave? Yeah. Um, would you be willing to do a commentary track for the DVD? And I said, "Well, sure." And he says, because you're the only person who ever wrote a positive review of the movie. <laughs> 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 and, and so, um, I mean, uh, uh, Roger Ebert actually called for censorship of the movie. He thought it was actually dangerous. Um, and he claims to have been in a theater where guys were cheering on the rapist. Uh. I don't think that's true. I cannot imagine uh, that happening. Uh, if he was in a theater where there's nervous laughter or where there's a scene so goofy that you're cheering the goofiness of the scene, that's one thing. But, you know, he, he was claiming that it actually encourages rape. <laughs> yeah, that's a little weird. I don't... Yeah. Yeah, no. Uh, <laughs> and... Uh, I remember when I first saw that movie, that and Last House on the Left really, really messed with me hard. Um, especially Last House on the Left, the uh, the sequence yeah. when, uh, with the um, the hammer and the teeth that really kind of yeah. oh. But I gotta go. I gotta go buy the Arrow three yeah. disc release now because I gotta have it. <laughs> yeah, I, I wouldn't consider either of those movies um, fun. No. Uh, are enjoyable but um and i really don't i think last house on the left would have disappeared if it hadn't been made by west craven um you know 
it would not have survived as a as a uh, as a cult movie. Um, and and he and Wes Craven knew that, and he changed his technique uh, to be less realistic in in his in the in the movies he made after that. Um, but never, nevertheless, um, uh, I don't believe I don't I don't believe we should have golden ages and things. I think we should move on to the next thing, and <laughs> we should move on to the next. Uh, scary movie genre um uh we should not keep going back over these uh and and that that's that's the problem with uh remakes and reimaginings and i mean the halloween there's three writers on that new halloween right really yeah (laughs) that already that's already that already says trouble to me (laughs) (laughs) and one of them's a comedy guy which is even You know, um, but I mean, and remember when movies were, and this is, this makes us sound like, you know, get off my lawn and all that kind of stuff. But remember when, when movies were written by one person? <laughs> yeah. You know? Yeah. But, uh, that, that actually makes me, uh, brings me to my next question is it seems like everybody has a voice now when they blog and they can talk about movies ad nauseum and, and say whatever they want. Does that kind of, um, uh, I'm trying to think of the right word to use here. Um, does that kind of make film criticism lose its prestige? Would you say? Um, not really, because um, most bloggers uh, don't really have the writing technique to attract much of an audience. Um, it's still the, the the critics that are most trenchant and expressive that are that that um that can develop an audience now they may start as bloggers right um but they uh it's you know most people when they think about blogging they think it's just um uh pouring out whatever comes off the top of your head whereas most critics real critics um uh have more craft than that (laughs) and 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 uh, uh, you know work on the language of a piece. So I I don't think I don't think bloggers replace critics. There have never been that many good film critics. I mean, there's always just a, a handful. Um, uh, there are many many reviewers um, because many people think it's a fun job just to watch movies and review them. But it, but it's uh, uh, there, there are very few thoughtful critics, but there've never been that many thoughtful critics, you know? Right. Um, uh, so I, now, you know, yeah. Does, do you think though, like with, with podcasts and YouTube and I'm, I'm fully understand the irony in this, but, uh, do you think with podcasts and YouTube and stuff, are they kind of, I mean, what do you think the status is of print critics? Do you think that, that, they're kind of going to have to switch over at some point or well i think most of them do most of them uh, most print critics uh have some other uh medium that they express themselves in and so um so yeah it all it all kind of it all kind of blends together i mean the internet in general is white noise yeah <laughs> 
And occasionally, somebody breaks through the white noise. And it's usually because they have a distinctive voice told in an elegant, and they, they can speak in an elegant way. And maybe, and when I say elegant, I don't mean um, high class. I just mean um, uh, uh, with with their own voice, you know. Right, right, right. Um, and so, and and, and uh, what's great about the internet is it's like um, is that anybody can. There's no barriers of entry. Anybody can do it, right? And and what's bad about it is that anybody can do it. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, uh, you know, it's, it's the same problem I have with these uh, young filmmakers who now they have the cheap technology, uh, and so they they stop going to film school. <laughs> so they don't, they don't do the basics. Uh, they don't do the basics right. You know, um, why, you know, why are there dirty socks in the corner of this scene? You know, Oh, well, we had to shoot in my apartment, Joe Bob. And, you know, just because you shot in your apartment doesn't mean you don't have to art direct the scene. <laughs> yeah, get somebody to put up, you know, clean up your apartment if you're going to be shooting in there. I mean, come on. Did you not do laundry? You still have to dress the set. It exactly. Exactly. You know. Exactly. Um, and I'm not good at that. That's why I quit. <laughs> I'd rather not do it than, than do it poorly. Yeah. You know, that's... And so, uh, uh, or, you know... Why did you use so many non-actors? You know, <laughs> That's what and and, uh, and well, we didn't have the money for actors. And I said, "Is there a junior college in your little town? Does it have a drama department? There are actors moving amongst you. <laughs> you, you merely have to find them." <laughs> you know? Yeah, actors were always the least of my worries. It was like crew and stuff like that. That's what I, you know. So, and I'm, oh, I'm, I, I, yeah. It's always been a weird. Thing. Why can't I understand what he's saying? <laughs> Do you not have a well, microphone? Because I, because I was running sound, you know, while I was. Oh, you, because you didn't have a sound guy. Well, we couldn't afford a sound guy. <laughs> you couldn't hire uh, somebody you, to hold a pole. Yeah, really. <laughs> yeah, oh, it's, man. It's, it's it's yeah uh and that's the uh the, you mentioned the doing everything you know cheap and everything like the, the filming on the iphone now is a big thing like the steven soderbergh movie just came out on the on blu-ray unsane uh and I, of course i have a copy to watch but i, I kind of think when it comes to somebody like him um shooting a, a film on the iphone uh it's not like sean baker doing it with tangerine uh, unsane is more. It seems like he's almost just trying to be gimmicky. Yeah, I mean, I don't get that excited about watching somebody's iPhone film. So, <laughs> I, so uh, uh, I'm not sure what they're trying to prove with that. Because, I mean, one of the things that you can still do with uh, with cheap technology is you can use a lot of different lenses. <laughs> And you yes. can use, and you can use a lot of devices that move the camera in interesting ways, other than holding it in your hand. And so, <laughs> why not why not use the toolkit um, 
as opposed to shooting a film with an iPhone. I mean, uh, you know, uh, I mean, I have to assume it's some kind of like found footage film or something like that. Uh, no, because... it's not actually. It's it's no? it's uh, it's a about a, a woman who um, uh, her stalker and all this other kind of. I haven't like I said, I haven't watched it yet, but. Uh, uh, I'm more interested in this is how weird things are now. I'm more interested in rewatching Pacific Rim Uprising than I am watching an original film by Steve. That's it's, it's, <laughs> it, I don't know what's going on with me. Uh, did you ever think about having like your own uh, podcast or something? Because that's something I know you controlled Monster Vision like script wise and all that kind of stuff, and that was that yep. was you know your thing. Uh, but did you ever think of like having another show like that, like a podcast, um, like a podcast? Yeah. Um... You know, I'm I'm not that familiar with the podcast world, and um, I don't really I don't really listen to podcasts myself, so I'm not sure that I would be good at it. Um, I I did I I have had people approach me and say you want to do a podcast, and and I'm I'm not I'm not savvy about how you build the audience and and. How often you should do it, and how someone like how you would have a, a built-in audience, though. You know, that, I think though, yeah. that's the thing. Yeah, yeah, you, you'd have a yeah. definitely have a built-in audience. I mean, what I tend to do with TV is I tightly script it, and then I depart from it when I when I feel like it in the moment. But it, but I can always go back to the tightly scripted version. Right. Well, that's very time-consuming. Very time-consuming. I mean, it's like I those shows that I did. They were ninety percent writing and ten percent performance. I, you know, all the work was, all the work was the pre-production. So, um, uh, so to do a, uh, I, I, I was, I used to be a um, um, guest uh, DJ once a year when the guy would go out of town uh, at the uh, classic rock station in um, San Francisco, and. Um, so four hours, morning drive, four hours, six to ten, five days, okay? So I start at 6 a.m. By 8.30 a.m. of the first day, I'm out of material. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to have to start repeating myself. It's like I have so much respect for those radio guys because, you know, it's like I don't, I don't understand how you can just talk and and make it and make it cohesive and entertaining and continually, you know, engaging and you got to have a talent for that. You know, you got to be really good at that. Um I'm I'm more, you know, intensive preparation. So. And that's there's nothing wrong with that. Uh, now I know on Monster Vision, you, it's it's known that you um, would scare your guests by saying that you don't do a second take; you only do one take. Yeah. Now, is we there never ever did second takes? Is there ever a, cha- a, t- a time when you actually had to do a second take, like you were forced to? Yeah, we, yeah, we 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 occasionally. I mean, uh, <laughs> there was a um, there was a. Uh, Scream Queen name. <laughs> I don't know. If, are you familiar with your 80s Scream Queens? Was it Linnea uh, Quigley? She's, she's a little bit of an obscure one. No, Monique Gabrielle. I don't Did know that one. Movie with Monique Gabrielle. Um, she. Uh, we had to stop shooting because uh, 
she didn't wear any underwear and her and her skirt was really really short and we were seeing all of Monique. (laughs) 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 And uh, when we told her, she was not that embarrassed by it. Oh, jeez. She was okay with it. (laughs) Um, But uh, we said, no, 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 no. You know, you got to either put something else on or keep your legs tightly crossed. (laughs) Uh, That's crazy. So, yeah, occasionally we would have something like that or... Um, but for the most part, I like to leave the mistakes in and give it a live feel. That's awesome. Yeah, I, I, uh, I, I always loved how you were able to deliver the stuff so fast too. And you always made it feel like you always made it feel like you have forgotten more about movies than I'll ever know. <laughs> no, not true. Uh, when I go to the to the uh, convention, sometimes they'll introduce me as the expert. He's an expert on this. He's an expert on that. And inevitably. I'll miss the first three questions that people ask me. It's like, uh, I don't know. I never heard of that. <laughs> <laughs> You're just good at research. Yeah. No, the really, the real experts are the guys who never leave their apartment. I mean, they, they, <laughs> they've watched 40,000 films, you know, and they'll come up to you at those conventions. They'll ask you about stuff that's just, oh, my God, you know, yeah, Nigerian that's... horror. <laughs> I thought, isn't that the emails you get asking for your Social Security number? I thought that was Nigerian <laughs> horror. Oh boy! Oh man! But um, but yeah. So now let's uh, we're we're here to talk about now that we've gone this far. Let's talk about what's coming up on Friday at uh, nine p.m. Eastern. That uh, this Friday the thirteenth, my uh, a great day on Shutter. It's the last drive-in. I'm sad to see it called the last drive-in. Is this really going to be it for you? Well, um, I I assume that. Uh, you know, you can only go so far with nostalgia, and since since they wanted to do, you know, the exact same show that I did in the '90s, I thought, well, you know, it's it's probably the last time I'm going to do that. You know, if if we were going to do a a, a a regular show, it would have to be something new. You know, right, right. But um, so that's why it's called the Last Drive-In. I I just. It's the same set. It's the same rants. It's the same, It's not the same rants. You know, they're contemporary rants, but it's the same style of rant. Um, it's the same uh, drive-in totals and the same male girl and the same. Well, it's a new male girl, but the same idea. Um, we have some guests. Um, we have um, uh, we have commercial interruptions on a network that has no commercials. Oh, well, there you <laughs> so go. It's just, so it's just me talking, me point being annoying in the middle of the movie. Um, so uh, uh, we'll see how it goes. I mean, we're, it's, yeah, I think we're the first streaming service that's done this, um, where you got to tune in at a certain time. You got to tune in for the live feed. Uh, that's a question, actually. Yeah, that's a question I have. I have. Uh, I've gotten from a lot of people, and they want me to ask you. Okay. If, if they miss the live feed, is this going to be on demand? That is something I honestly don't know, uh, and I would think that probably not. At least not for a while, because they want people to watch it live. Right, and right, so, right. so if they were, to, if they, if they were to say. 
you can get it a week later on demand, then a lot of people wouldn't tune in. And so I think that um, I think that they're going to hold it back for. Uh, and I don't. And you know, it's a it's a catch twenty two. They can't hold it back for that long because the licenses will run out on these films. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> that's very true. And, but I, they're going to hold it back long enough that uh, you know you're encouraged to watch it in real time. So I know I'm going to miss three hours of it because I have to uh, at midnight uh, my time. It's one o'clock uh, Eastern. Uh, I will be in Milwaukee. Uh, watching Friday the 13th Part 4 on the big screen. I can't pass that up. Um, oh, really? It, yeah, it's. I, I don't know why they're doing it, but they're doing it, so I'm not going to pass that up. And uh, that's the one movie that you didn't get to play on Monster Vision, wasn't it, when you did the marathon? Part 4? Part 4, That you're absolutely right. Um, we did 1, 2, 3, 5. Yeah, did, did we do a 6? No, we, we did 1, 2, 3, 5, I think. Yeah. And... Um, I think the only people always ask me why didn't you, why, or did we miss? Yeah, yeah. Why didn't you have that one? And then, I mean, it was some simple reason, like we just did not have the rights to it for some reason. I don't know why. Um, but it wasn't it wasn't any convoluted reason. It was just like we couldn't. We we didn't have the right to show it. Yeah. Now and now Friday the Thirteenth is all in upheaval with that lawsuit. So that's always fun. But. Uh... Uh, yeah, so that, that's a whole other podcast. Um, but so everybody, uh, go to go to Shutter, get yourself a, a, a subscription, uh, and and Friday, July thirteenth at nine p.m. Eastern, you can watch the last drive-in with my wonderful guest Joe Bob Briggs. Thank you so much for being on. It's been a, a complete and utter honor and a pleasure. Uh, I'd love to have you on again sometime. Thank you, Ron. Anytime. So that was a fun chat, I think. I think we had a good time there. Uh, got to find out all sorts of cool stuff. Uh, I'm looking forward to this weekend, the, the marathon over at Shudder. Um, don't forget to check out the new website, ronsmoviehouse.com. Uh, and we have a Patreon, patreon.com forward slash ron for tea and uh, all sorts of other cool stuff. Twitter and Instagram are at real ron for tea. Uh, I love having to tell people these things when the links are in the description. Yeah. So be sure to head over there. And don't forget to check out Shudder.com. They are a great, great streaming service for fans of horror. And uh, the, the marathon this weekend with Joe Bob is going to be amazing. Um, yeah, so thanks for listening, everybody. If you made it this far, you're great. And uh, we'll see you uh, on Sunday. So it's going to kind of be in the middle of the, you know, at the tail end of the the, uh, what you call it, the, the marathon. I'll see you then with uh, a proper episode of Movie House where I'll be talking about The First Purge. Did it make me want to purge? You'll have to tune in and find out. We'll see you next time, everybody. Bye-bye.